Welcome back, Rage Nation. Definitely not PR friends. Myself, Pete. He needs to stop, like, fucking getting cute with these kicks. John the Mountain Man Stokes. You're not putting them on my models, motherfucker. Chris the non-tech Asian. Put the tape measure up and get some wages. You, yeah, no, you really frustrated me. You walked away and you came back and your scalp would be thrown across the room. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. I will will share with you my one rage quit story. You know, I'm a robot and I don't have a solo or personality. This is going to be a really great opportunity for everybody to see how you effed up. Welcome back, Rage Nation. We got another Malifaux episode for you guys today. Uh, I've been getting a lot of messages on creating more Malifaux content, so here we go. So, got Pete back here, and this time we're going to be talking about some of those dirty, dirty terrorists, the Arcanists. And uh, I've been playing against them a lot, but I definitely need help kind of going through the cards. And we're not going to go through all of them like the other previous episodes. Uh, we're going to kind of do a brief overview what each keyword's about, and then just generally how does the faction feel for those people that are just getting into the faction or brand new players. So this time I invited on Jeremy Peace. He's from the North Carolina meta, which is definitely a strong Malifaux uh, meta. So yeah, Jeremy, how are you doing today, man? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, I mean, you're this is actually kind of cool because you're just a little bit more seasoned than me. I mean, you said you basically started, what, maybe like a year ago playing Malifaux? Yeah, uh, I ordered my first models uh, end of May last year and just been trying to get in as many games as I can and uh, learning as much as I can about Malifaux. Yeah, and you were you were just telling me that your third game was against Cody Hyatt when you were learning to play, so that must have been an eye-opener. Yeah, I learned very quickly uh, what the curve is in order to be good, uh, you know, because, you know, he's probably one of the best players that we have around definitely the best play I've played. And it was, uh, it was, I quickly learned that I needed to do a lot of work if I actually wanted to be competitive. Yeah. Now, do you come from playing a lot of competitive tabletop games, card games? What what were you into before you found Malifaux? Malifaux is the first uh, game like this that I've ever played. Um, never, uh, you know, played any tabletop games. Didn't even really know about this stuff. My best friend was playing Malifaux. And okay. I was just like, you know, what are you doing every Tuesday? Like, where are you? Where do you go every Tuesday after work? <laughs> like, because he would always have to like leave. You know, when he was we worked together as well, he was leaving work. He was like, no, I'm just gonna go play this game. And I, uh, I played a lot of like cards. Uh, I played a, a lot of poker. Oh, so sure. the the card aspect was you know attractive to me. And you know, after I we pushed models around one day, I was like, I'll give it a shot. Order some models and here we are. Okay, that's interesting that this is kind of your first like tabletop crack. So uh, coming from poker, is there stuff that you bring from playing a lot of poker to Malifaux? Just kind of curious. Definitely. As far as the, I can do card math without necessarily thinking about it that much. So I can, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of always tracking in my head how many severes that they have left or so i kind of have an idea about where i'm sitting in terms of um their deck being hot my deck being hot um things like that i can usually pick up pretty quickly if the person doesn't have a really good hand or if they have a really good hand so yeah. I try to, i'll use that information in as well 
And it's just some of the basic strategies of games just applies across whether it's, you know, Malifaux or poker or anything else, just when to be aggressive, when not to be aggressive, things like that. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because that's something I'm starting to pick up on. Uh, I come from a lot of dice tabletop games, so this is kind of a newer thing to me. I've casually played poker, but that's something I'm definitely starting to pick up on. Like if I see somebody cheat in or if they can't cheat in, like they look at it and they're like, oh, I just can't. It, it, they don't know they're giving away information. I'm like, okay, the highest card you have is like a six. <laughs> yeah, I, like, and that's incredibly valuable information. And I try to be upfront about as many about that with any player that I play like that I, you know, have a history in poker because I, because sometimes I almost like feel like I'm, they're giving me so much of that information sometimes. And I don't, yeah. and I can avoid giving up that information in most cases. I mean, sometimes I'm not trying that hard. I mean, you know, a casual game, I don't care if you know, if I have yeah, right. you know, a good hand or a bad hand, but like if, if when I'm focused on it and like, and playing competitively, then, I know that I'm not giving up that information. And since it's an open information game, I try to make sure that we're both on the same page as to, you know, what I could be tr trying to figure out or figuring out as the game progresses. Yeah, that that's definitely a, a nice kind of thing for people to think about getting into the game. Uh, I know this is kind of a, a, a casual overview of the faction, but that is good just information for people to realize that you can gather a lot of information from your opponent and, You'll notice even in tournaments, people give away a ton of information about their hand. It's kind of ridiculous sometimes when I'm like, you know, this is a tournament, right? You you want to be telling me that you have like no severes in your hand? Yeah, and that is just the way that a lot of people like you, a lot of people do that even in poker. Like, I, I mean, I'm I was basically making a living off of people just giving away that information, even though they were playing for real money. So. Even with this, you know, people just, they want, like, they want to complain about that. There's just something, it, like, you just... <laughs> Human you nature. Just, right. You just want to tell them, like, you look down and the highest card you have in your hand is a five. And you're just, like, you're just so bothered by it, you just say something. Like, you just yeah. can't help yourself. Or they just can't help their excitement when they look down and they have three severes, their red joker, and their black joker. So they know that everything's going to happen, nothing bad's going to happen, you know. Yeah. And that's kind of a tip for, I would say for players, for me is I just always look at my hand. I'm like, man, this is straight up fire. And that way, sometimes my opponents think it's good. And then sometimes I'm like, nope, I meant dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, right. Just, as long as you keep it consistent, you know, uh, yep. like uh, Jesse, one of the guys from our meta, whenever he looks at his hand, he said, that's a hand. Because it <laughs> is. every time it's a hand, it might be a yep, good it one, is. it might be a bad one, but it's a hand. All right, man. Well, we're not like I said, we're not going to talk too much about the fluff, but I just did want to give kind of a brief overview for the people that are interested in because the Arcanists do have an interesting story arc. Um, basically, the Arcanists are kind of almost like the terrorists of Malifaux. They're kind of fighting against the guild. They're kind of plotting underground. They're trying to, you know, do whatever they can to throw the wrench in the guild's plan because they don't like the control that the guild has. And so you have the main person in the story is Ramos, and he's kind of like the person that runs the story initially, but he actually ends up getting captured and thrown into prison. And I believe, 
don't I mean, don't get mad if I get this wrong, people, but I believe Ramos is still in prison and that's why he's in the dead man's hand and not available for play right now. That's my general knowledge of where Ramos is in the game. But yeah, if you listen to the backstory of the Arcanist, that's what mostly it is. You have kind of like Madame Colette just kind of like running her showgirls, but kind of helping out Ramos and the people just kind of scheme around the guild. And it's an interesting backstory. So if you're into fluff, I would definitely give them a read because there's a lot going on with that guild. Yeah, and I think, Tony, I think Tony's the reason why uh, Ramos got in prison. Like, uh, yeah, there's like this inner yeah. conflict between the uh, faction. Right, yeah. Like and the the fluff aspect has been one of the things that I've been, you know, slowly getting a grasp on just from both playing the game and like just picking it up like cuz there's a lot. I felt like, you know, there was books and books of information to catch up on when I stepped yeah. into the game. But um I'm I like how when I learn about the models and then when I hear about the fluff aspect it all kind of fits together and makes sense so that it's easier to put together. Yeah. And I would say like, if you are kind of newer getting into just Malifaux in general, the best place to start with the background of your faction is those uh, third edition kind of fluff books. Uh, Mm -hmm. I just picked up the one for Bayou and, and they're good because they give you the background of each individual model, just a quick, like, I don't know, two paragraphs about each model, like what they do. And then you also get probably about, four or five big stories in there. And that kind of gives you an idea of what those characters are about. Like the one I'm reading for Bayou talks about, you know, this inner conflict between the Tuckets and the Joneses. And you get this kind of cool, you know, rivalry slash, you know, uh, Hatfield and McCoy feel to it. So it, it just gives you kind of that flavor of the game. So it don't start with the whole story of Malifaux. I would say go ahead and start with your faction and get that third edition book and just kind of, get your feel of okay this is what my faction's all about that's a good place to start i think you sold me on it i think i need to pick up the faction book yeah i picked up the third edition for uh, bayou and i haven't read all the other bayou fluff but you know it's just kind of cool because i i hear i'm reading this one story where they're doing like this train heist between the tuckets and the joneses but they're it goes back and forth between Ma and Somer, and they talk about how they're going to backstab each other. So it's it's a pretty funny story. I mean, Bayou's a lot of comedy, so they're getting drunk and stuff on the mission. I think Somer falls asleep in the ditch while they're waiting on the train. It's it's pretty funny. Awesome. Yeah, so I know the Arcanists have some cool stories that I'm going to read once my uh, buddy's done with his book. So, But we'll, we'll get into the cards and the, and the cruise just because I'm kind of interested to hear what you, uh, you have to say, and I, I hope that we can kind of learn something so I can learn how to beat these consistently because they're really good. So (laughs) first thing I want to start off with, Jeremy, is just the versatile models for uh, the Arcanist. So uh, there's a a good kind of selection when it comes to their uh, their versatile models. So what are some of the ones that you're like, I bring these models a lot because they're really good in the faction? Yeah, I would say... We have yeah one of the better selection of versatile models. Uh, a lot of our versatile models are constructs, um, which makes sense because both the the Ramos aspect. But um, one of our upgrades is based on the uh, model being a construct. So mm-hmm. um, you know some of our upgrades can't go on all of our models. Um, yeah. So things like the the effigy is great. Uh, the emissary is is great. A mechanical rider, I take that in a lot of lists because it just adds so much flexibility. Yeah. Um, 
both with the ride with me, um, the having the ability to reactivate a model. So you can just, even after a model's already activated that turn, you can choose for any model on the table outside of a master to uh, reactivate, including the rider itself. Um, yep. Taking that with like a Soulstone Miner, you know, they, they changed the Soulstone Miner so that you can't, uh, that is no longer uh, used for strats and schemes until the beginning of its next activation. Well, if you can pop it up and then reactivate it later with the rider, then you can kind of <laughs> get around that, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, the swarm is still great, uh, even though it doesn't have the baked in onslaught anymore and we can use one of our upgrades to let it use stone. So then if it gets a kill, it gets the stone back. Um, so that can always work out. And I like the, uh, uh, the mecharachnid too, the, the bigger, uh, spider model because, you know, it's armor two cost six, you know, so it isn't like hugely taxing on your, uh, and it has precise, so it can get around in armor hard to kill, shielding hard to wound, all those things. It can get around it. And, uh, you know, you can hit onslaught with that, too. And it has ways to get positives on this duel, so give yeah. you a better chance of, you know, hitting that trigger or, you know, giving it the upgrade so you can use stones to hit it if you need to. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of that stuff used to great effect, and it, it they are just, it's kind of... They're all just really solid models, like the armor, because like you said, most of them are constructs, so the armor on them just makes them a little more survivable than your every every other faction's versatile models. But uh, the one model I did want to ask about is, what do you like about the Arcane Emissary? Because I haven't seen that on the table yet, so I'm kind of curious how you like using that on the table. Yeah, uh, well, one thing is uh, it has a two-inch melee. Um, so two-inch melees... You can put your opponent in a lot of uh, bad positions with that. And um, with it having a, a bigger base, you can take up a lot of space with that yeah. area of things possibly not being able to charge. or um, And then it has the ability to, uh, when it charges, it gets the extra two inches. It has a rush. Yeah, rush. <laughs> right. And, it, um, and frenzy charge, so it can charge more than once. So if you have, if you are charging a model that has a one-inch melee and you know you give it something like diesel engine which gives you a positive to your damage flip if you charge you can just charge twice because they're not engaging you you know so you can just you know move charge again and or use the shove aside and hit two models um or the uh, and it has that negation or so that if they cheat fate around it they have to uh if uh, they cheat fate around it they have to discard a card yeah that's pretty good yeah, I mean, it, it just has a lot of options. It has armor one, it has regen, you know, like, so if you have something else that could possibly, you know, even if you use the effigy and give it the upgrade, it has regen one, so it's going to start getting some of that health back and if maybe one heal from something else. If you have a way to incidentally heal it, then it's back up to, you know, close to 10 wounds and doing a lot of yeah. damage. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so definitely some really solid models. And I'll ask you this because I feel like, especially before the errata, almost there was no reason not to bring a Soulstone Miner. Do you feel like that's still the case? Or are you now like, okay, now there it's a select choice if I bring the Soulstone Miner? Even before, I, I didn't necessarily bring it all the time. I think one of the things that was getting a lot of players to bring it a lot was based on the schemes. Yeah. And now the schemes, there isn't as many of them where it's just a 
lay up be, to like get, a be there. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just show up and it's done. Uh, you know, you know, with so with the reduction to things, now it's it's more strategic. I mean, still getting a soul stone every turn is still good. Like, you know, it allows you to bring a you know, a lot a more elite list or, you know, spend a lot more stones on your list. Um, and then be able to get those stones slowly throughout the game. But now it's just not unkillable. Like before, it was just, um, it, you know, when it was armor 2, it was just too hard to get it killed, especially because, you know, almost every Arcanist was giving it the uh, magical training, so it had a shield. So, you know, if you're doing three damage on the first swing, that's zero. And yeah. then you get, a second, right, you get a second swing, you might do a couple damage, and then, boom, it's, you know, burying itself again at the beginning of the next turn, so then it's gone possibly for the rest of the game if they needed to hide it. So, I just think it's a lot, it's a lot more balanced with it having like, you can't just sit it somewhere and not have and just know that nothing's going to happen to it. Yeah, and I will say for the Soulstone Miner, I'd say probably the actually thing that's strongest is those crews that like to sit back. The Soulstone Miner is great for popping up in the backfield and then like charging your master or doing some other nonsense that it, it shouldn't be doing. It's just like, it, right. it's so good at killing those weak tech pieces. Right. And now if you were to try to do that for something like Vendetta, you would have to risk it possibly getting killed before yep. you could bury it again, yep. which, you know, even though I liked it when I, it was stronger, but it, I could understand why it's, more reasonable this way like i like okay i get why they needed to tone it down a bit because there was just a lot <laughs> of ways that you could just get away with doing so much with I, I know there's people like uh like craig who are very happy that it, it got nerfed oh yeah 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 <laughs> all right well let's go ahead and get started into our first keyword so i'm actually going to start with the performer keyword and I feel like that this keyword is really good, but I feel like it takes a lot of practice to get good with. And that's uh, Miss Colette Dubois' uh, crew. So what do you think about Colette and her performers? Uh, I think she's one of the best uh, masters in the faction, if not the. I mean, summoners always get, you know, are always really good. So it's probably up between those two. Um, the only thing with Colette is it just... It's, it was kind of like learning how to play the opposite way yeah. that I initially was trying to because it isn't as necessarily focused on just, you know, killing the other models. It's, you just more have to think about the game of how can I score the most points and how can I get that done, you know, with this crew. And, you know, yeah. she does a, a great job of that. Yeah, because she is all about positioning and scheming with her. I mean, if you look at... I mean, it, it's a beautiful card because, and dude, her new box, those models are amazing too, but uh, she has Don't Mind Me, which is amazing because she can just slip away and I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, she can do a lot of different things. She negative flips to attack her, uh, gives out a ton of distracted and, and can also stun models if they start within six inches of her, if they have distracted. So she just does a lot of cool things that really mess up your game plan as the as an opposing crew. And if you hit her, uh, she has a defensive trigger to trigger to bury herself. So making her that much harder to, you know, get a handle of is kind of like a game of whack-a-mole. If you, you hit her here, she disappears and then pops up next to a friendly model, you know, passing out uh, distracted and possibly stunning them when they activate. Now, Jeremy, do you have a funny story about Presto Changeo? Because I feel like 
Presto Changeo can make some people want to lose their minds when it happens to them. I, I, actually, I do. One of the <laughs> I hadn't I, before I really uh, got a grasp on how good Colette was. She was one of the last masters I moved to because mm-hmm. I was just like I when I looked at the card, I just couldn't see the value of any of these things. I was just like, how is this even? Good. How is this good? <laughs> right. How is this good? Like, she doesn't ha- like she doesn't do any damage on her melee attack. She has one attack that can uh, do damage, but it's a bonus action, so she can only do it once a turn. I'm like, there's there's no way that this can be as great as people are making it. And um, I was actually playing Jesse, and he ran a uh, he was playing Tony, and then he ran Colette as the second master, and I was like, okay, I, you know, I hear that she's a great scheme runner, and then he, I, I, I believe I was playing Raspy, and then he presto changed of Raspy from where all of my crew was to in the back of his crew where Tony <laughs> was waiting for to punch her face in. And I'm like, nice. oh, okay, it's like really, okay, yeah. I'm like, okay, now I don't have a master. This game is pretty much over, but I've definitely learned something valuable like that. That is really good, and and when you can move something that far from you know from yeah, eight, eight inches, inches. Away, yeah, exactly, and then you can place it within a friendly model that's within range, so that can be eight inches on one side and then eight inches on the other, so seventeen inches or so. Yeah, yeah, like I had uh, move six. It's just anything could be gone. Yeah, I had um, I was playing Ulix, and the guy that's playing uh, Arcanist in our group. He presto changeoed uh, Major over to his side, and I was like, "Oh, but that's not where I want Major to be." And I was like, "This is kind of bad," and I didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah, exactly. And then next thing you know, your model's stunned and distracted. So even if you were trying to swing out, you really can't do anything about it. It's it yeah, so just be so oppressive. She's really a master who you. I don't even know if you if somebody knows what they're doing with Colette. I don't know if you can actually go into her. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, you have to stun her, like, yeah. so that she can't get that defensive trigger off. And if you can get her stunned, so she can't bury, you know, and you have a way to get around uh, the serene countenance, like some way to bake in a positive, either yeah. on the, then you can possibly like those are the only those are the times where you know I've lost games with her because they had a way to kind of get around that and get her down. But yeah. if you just let her uh, run havoc on the board, just going back and forth, it's just really hard to to stop her from scoring as many points as she wants. So what are some of the models in her crew that you like a lot? Let's just get one or two that you're like, okay, when I play her, I really like these models. Carlos is one of the best scheme runners and uh, models in her crew. Um, I think she's one of the best game runners in the faction, honestly, because he has so much movement. He has move six. He has a bonus action to move him another five. So he can get to where he needs to be. He has butterfly jump. Don't mind me. So lots of ways to uh, make sure that he can get his scheming done. And I also hear, I hear a lot about the, uh, I, I don't even know how you pronounce this. Is it Corfi? Corfi duet? Those models, the Corfi and the Corfi duet. What's the what's the deal with those? Because I hear a lot of people talk about those a lot. Absolutely. Um, there's some things that the Corfi duet um, excels in, like 
public enemies because of its demisability. You can't get the full amount of points for it because it replaces um, with mannequins, which are you know below six stones. So um, yeah, yeah. you only get one point for them, even though the duet itself is twelve points. So you should be able to get three. Um, defense seven, uh, you know, armor two, and, you know, it has crit strike, you know, so, and you can get a lot of the, uh, with the replacement tricks of having one of them activate and then the other activate and then, uh, you know, on the next turn, uh, merging them together. And then when you split, one of them hasn't activated. So if you have the duet and then s- split them apart, you know, you calculate pass tokens when the duet was, uh, one model. Uh, so then when you split it apart and the other one is unactivated and you get to use one, you can kind of get that uh, advantage back from, you know, the activation order. Because yeah. I, you always want to be the last one activating. The more the uh, more often you have where you have a spot where you have like multiple activations and the other person is done, it seems like it works out better. Yeah. And that's one of the, and for some reason, I, I don't get this. It, it, people need to use their pass tokens more because I play Bayou. So, you know, I have a lot more models than most of my opponents. And <laughs> for some reason, people want to activate their stuff. And at the end of the turn, they got like six pass tokens and I'm or usually not that many, usually like two or three, but, um, and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to activate like three models now and something good's going to happen. Exactly. I'm going to activate all of my most important things, or I'm going to be able to get over into the spot where I can, uh, score all of my points. And like with Colette, she has three totems. So, yeah. you know, with that yeah. and the duet, you know, it's very hard to, take activation control from Colette and her crew, you know? Yeah. And the, the doves are actually interesting in this new, uh, new season because in gaining grounds with, uh, what's that corrupted ley lines, you can actually, um, give the lodestone to them and they can carry it around. They just can't interact to get it off them. Can they? I, I believe they, thought... I believe they can. Now I, I always thought that when it says that they're ignored for strats and schemes, that it's like when you look at the board and you're, considering something that involves strats and schemes is like they don't exist so that they yeah, wouldn't be able to hold it. Maybe, but I don't know if, if that gets around it because let's say I place or bury or something like that, or I don't place, but maybe like you bury yourself and you had the stone on you, it goes to the closest friendly model. I don't know if that would be able to jump to them or not. So that's, that's something I know I've heard some people questioning. So I'm not sure how that works with that. I, I, I like I, I definitely um, have heard that one, and I've mostly I've played it where they I just I don't give it to them just because I don't want to have the argument, <laughs> or I would just it just makes the game go faster it seems. But I'm I'm not sure. I would love for that to be the case because then that makes Colette even better. Yeah, can- most times it's one of those things where it doesn't feel right. So I'm like, okay, I I wouldn't play it that way, but if you're really hell-bent on it i mean we can play with it and i can still have fun it's like they're just doves i'll just whatever exactly yeah (laughs) yeah they have two wounds (laughs) you'll pop it and then the nearest model will have to get it and then colette get the draw card yeah pretty much (laughs) (laughs) all right uh anything else in the crew that you're just like oh yeah this is a cool model too or, or is those the ones that you're really uh really like well um i really like um angelica because of the way that she has a uh, herald. She can move any uh, performer model with her bonus action up to five inches without having to flip for it. You know, anything that you can do 
um, like that where you don't have to flip. Seems like that's those are the really good abilities. So, you know, of course, the whole crew has, like, don't mind me, so that's good. And she has the ability to drop a shockwave that allows her to put down a scheme marker on any tome six or higher. So you can give her the ability to use stones if you like, or you can just bank on the fact that you'll have that, you know, tome in hand at some point. In a game that is all about efficiency, this is, like, the crew that makes, like, your game plan the least efficient as possible. It's just crazy. I don't. I don't know. It's definitely an interesting crew. Definitely need to get your reps if you're going to be playing that crew for sure. And that ability to just be able to drop down skiing markers from you know ten inches away is fantastic. Like even, but a lot of you know the models like have cool tricks and collect like that. Like Cassandra being able to uh, copy an ability, um, even if it's a bonus action with her upstage to any tactical action. So I've used that before in a tight spot to you know copy ride with me. Um, to move a model when, you know, it costs you a bonus action and an action, but if it's the difference between, you know, scoring a point or not scoring a point, you, it's worth sacrificing uh, two actions in order to get those kind of things done. So, no, just oh, yeah, for sure. flexibility. Yeah, definitely a flexible crew. Uh, I was saying that this is a crew that is great at, in a game where your economy of your actions is the best way to win the game, she is great at making your actions not as valuable. And and that's really strong if you can get good with it. Absolutely. So the next keyword that we're going to focus on is the wildfire keyword. So that is Karis and her just going to light the world on fire and pass out a crap ton of injured. Yeah, lots of burning, lots of injured. I've had a lot of experience because the guy I play in our meta, he has played a lot of Karis because... She's just good. So what what are some things that you like about her on the tabletop? That her her, her power markers aren't destructible. Yep. So it very few models have ways or very few, I don't even say very few uh, factions have ways to deal with markers that aren't destructible. Like, you know, unless you have something like Molly or something like that, that can just remove any marker or maybe gluttony. Um, yeah, I think so Macha is one in Bayou that can yeah, deal with it. Yeah, uh, the emissary, uh, I think, in Bayou can you know, like roll over them to pick them up. But most factions really don't have you know a way to deal with those kind of markers. And injured is one of the best uh, uh, what's uh, conditions in the game. Conditions, yeah, absolutely, um, because. Anytime that you're able to get their number down low enough, you know, even if it's just one or two points, it just it changes all the math on how successful your actions are going to be based on where you're sitting in the deck and what you have in your hand. Like you can just all of a sudden it can go from, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this much damage to this, uh, you know, to this model too. Okay. Now I can get this trigger off where I get to drop a pyre marker so that that model next to it is taking blast damage. And then when it moves, it's going to be injured and I can go after it as well. So it can just really uh, get a lot of work done. Yeah. And she has flight. So she's moving around, kind of getting around the battlefield. She has running gun, So she gets her eight inch gun when it's relevant. Uh, but she's definitely mostly uh, using her bonus action to put out the hazardous burning one injured one uh pyre marker and then i've found that a lot of times she's just fanning the flames to move them where they're most beneficial yeah th that's definitely one way to, to go at it or um one of the things that i'll do is 
I'll put, you know, if I can get two pyre markers down, because she can get two down with the trigger. Um, mm-hmm. You could put one in a spot where it's going, where their models are going to need to go, and then put one in a spot where you can charge into, so that you can raise your burning, and you know, and be in position to shoot them with running gun because you get a, you can use your burning to get a positive. So you know, now you're just taking pot shots at their models to you know do damage and just keep spending that for positive flips or using yeah. the totem to push them around to push that pyre to get them burning and injured early. And would you say that just her crew in general, is it a lot of kind of like ping damage? Like, are you just kind of slowly doing damage and then maybe getting one shot in there to finish them off or the burning's going to slowly tick them to like, how do you usually see her playing on the table? So like one of the things that I like about her keyword is that it kind of feels like with each model, you know exactly what that model is supposed to be doing just based on its abilities, whether it's, you know, like Borgman having a great sword. So, you know, that he's supposed to be, you know, taking those big swings to get within that three, four, five damage range. Same yep. with the golem. It has a three, four, five damage um, and it can use this burning like armor. So it's honestly more often than not, that's just like a huge tar pit in the middle of yep. uh, the board because they're struggling to unless they have a way to end your conditions. Um they're basically going against armor two that they can't use armor piercing against. And so that everything just kind of has its own place and they can get a lot of damage done. Yeah. I was going to say they even have some really good scheme runners. They have the uh, fire starter too. And the fire starter can just run around and kind of do its own thing while the other crews lighten your face on fire. You look at that card, you see, okay, it's move seven and it has reckless. So yeah. You know, 21 inches of movement <laughs> and it can be wherever it needs to be and use stones if someone goes after it. It's just, yeah, it just can get tons done. And that uh, light under your feet ability, you can use that on their, uh, like, as against their models or your own. So, and with the tome trigger, you can basically push another model from eight inches away wherever you want with any tome because there isn't a uh, TN on it. And then just drop a scheme marker uh, yeah. in base contact with them. So everything has kind of has its place. Yeah, he can he can definitely run a lot of these schemes and gaining gaining grounds one by himself just because like he can just drop a scheme marker, go seven, drop another scheme marker, and it, that's a couple of the schemes where it's like okay, that checks the block, and he's doing other things now. Yep, yeah, exactly. Like uh, the uh, symbols of authority, you know, he's great for that because he can just get over to where he needs to be and pick up a marker pretty easily. I mean. You know, with 21 inches of movement in turn one, you probably only use two of it. And then the second turn, you might use all 21 inches or or at least use both moves and then pick up, you know, one of the symbols of authority. So he can get to wherever he needs to be. Yeah, and I definitely see all these wildfire keywords. You could definitely build your crew just around the wildfire and and you'd have a lot of success with it. Are there any out-of-keyword models you like bringing with wildfire to help them maybe do something they don't excel in that well? Uh, I would say it's rare um, that I would bring something out of keyword. Yeah. Sometimes I'll go versatile. I mean, I've tried some things like pulling in a, a silent one um, because it's the best healer in the faction. It's way better than the fire branded in my opinion in terms of just having a heal um and then it makes it you know you can run a scheme like research mission uh pretty easily if you have you know 
the silent wood putting down the ice pillar and the uh Karis and her crew putting down pyre markers you're basically a scheme marker away from scoring and so i mean i've i've tried that a few times but um yeah, with her keyword, uh, it's pretty strong within itself, and yeah. uh, and everything benefits from the fire, so it's just usually easier to stay there. Yeah, there's definitely definitely a lot of power in that crew, but is there anything that you feel like uh, counters it pretty well, or is there anything where you're like, you got to watch out for this because this can really make it rough on Karis? Uh, yeah, it things that can easily remove conditions, you got to be careful. So like any time that you're facing someone like Von Stuck, the monk um, master in Ten Thunders, uh, Shenlong. Oh, uh, yeah, Shenlong. That, yeah, that has the ability just to, you know, remove your conditions, you know, pretty easily or anything that can end conditions like that. You can't take the fire golem because effectively it's not going to have his armor. So you're going to need to replace yeah. it out with, you know, something else like the emissary or. So as long as you're kind of aware of those things, um, you can usually be in a, a pretty good spot. Those are the things that. She's going to hate things that end uh, the fire condition or, of course, remove those markets easily. Um, those things can uh, make her have a much more difficult time at getting what she needs to get done. Let's go ahead and hop into our next keyword. And this one I actually I find is kind of interesting because I feel like people either love it or they hate it. And that's uh, Marcus with the Chimera crew. And he's the dual one of the dual masters in the faction. So what do you think about Marcus? I mean, is he one that you kind of like? Is he one where you're kind of not impressed by him? I, I don't know what your feelings are. Well, uh, Marcus is actually the first master I bought. I bought his box and uh, Tony's. Those were the two, the first. And Marcus was the first one I got painted and was playing a lot. I do like Marcus. As I've played more Malifaux, I don't. He isn't. Uh, there's spots where he can be good, but I almost feel like anytime I'm picking Marcus, there was a, there's another master that I could pick if I wanted to be more competitive. Some of the things that were cleared up in uh, GG1 really hurt Marcus, like the uh, that you, when you can't declare triggers off of a trigger. Um, yeah. So it makes his Call of the Wild ability not as good. I really think that it should just be uh, his ability should just allow you to move or charge instead of it being the trigger allowing you to charge so that he would feel more like a master to me. I don't know. But that. Yeah. But I do like like the aesthetic of a lot of the, the models. And like I like, you know, and they do a lot of cool things like passing up the upgrades, you know, having a. Uh, Having that, having a cat that will, uh, uh, that has stealth and being able to pass out like the charge through and stuff like that. I mean, you can make and giving it flight, you can make some really yeah. scary models um, that can get a lot done. And one of the things that I didn't figure out until I put to, uh, until I went back to Marcus after I was just getting my face smashed in every time I played him was that when you rip off the upgrades, you get a positive and the suit. I nice. thought it was one or the other. So, and with the changes to the order initiatives, making them a little bit cheaper and then them being able to give themselves an upgrade. So you can kind of get them built up pretty quickly with two upgrades and then actually use like the trap I was falling in was uh, leaving the upgrades on the models too long. Like, you know, yeah. trying to, you know, Voltron them up, you know, have it, 
But that's not really what you need to be doing. You just need to be getting them on there, using them for the moment, and then ripping them off during their attacks so that you can get those positives and those suits built in so you can hit that onslaught trigger or double puncture or whatever it may be so that you can get damage done. Yeah, because I, I feel like that was one of the weaknesses I noticed about Marcus is that people like they'll build up their Voltrons on their big pieces and then they kind of spread out and go do things, which I feel like Marcus's crew, even though you can do that, I feel like most of the time they should actually stay relatively close to Marcus so you can uh, adjust what upgrades you need as the ebb and flow of the game happens. So that's one thing I noticed about Marcus when I played against him. Yeah, it's like it. It's like he doesn't want to be a bubble master, but he still does. Like because you can do, you can add the upgrades from twelve inches away. But he's actually one of the. He has some of the best card draw uh, in the faction because yeah. when you rip off an upgrade within uh, using, uh, you know, discard an upgrade within six, you get to draw a card. So if you're actually, you know, adding those upgrades off and then, uh, you know, discarding them for those positives and suits and getting the draw a card. You're getting a lot of efficiency there that you're not going to get if you let, you know, you know, if you have a model that is, you know, eight inches away or, you know, on the other side scoring, you know, going for breakthrough. I mean, it can be great for that, but you're still going to just be missing a lot of that engine that's going to help him uh, be stronger when he's, you know, closer to the middle of the board. Yeah. Which one of the, uh, which one of the monsters uh, do you like using the most? Like, which one are you like, okay, when I do play him, this is the one I like because it gets the most work done? I think people f- uh, fear the, the Sabretooth the most. But I like I like the Slate Ridge Mauler a lot and the Scorpius. Those two, I would say, are the two that are um, I can get the most work out of. Because, uh, you know, with Laugh Off and, not, and being able to stop an enemy model from moving you or um, from an effect or, you know, anything during their activation um, yeah. can be really useful, especially with something like, you know, ley lines. If you give it the lodestone and basically say, I'm standing here, they're going to pass me the lodestone and you can't do anything about it because I have eight wounds and hard to wound. Uh, yeah. and, and an upgrade for Marcus that gives him armor and two shielded if it doesn't move. So like, you can really just lock something down with that one. And uh, the Scorpius just has a stat seven, which very few non like henchmen, to, like there's very few enforcers uh, that have a stat seven. And so, and being able to, you know, give things poison. And then all of a sudden, once they're poison, they can't, you know, use soul stones to declare triggers. Um, yeah. Right. So just, you know, or if you're facing a crew, like, you know, mid-morning and you bring in a Scorpius and then just have it move over next to something that wants to, you know, use its triggers because everything has poison. All of a sudden you just turn all of that stuff off or, you know, stop mid-morning from being able to, you know, use soul stones and then have something else attack it to. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's a lot of work to get, get out of that one. Yeah. That's, that's definitely cool tech for that. And, uh, I don't know. I I think the kind of weakness I gathered from this crew is I feel like if you have strong range attacks, I feel like this crew just hates life. Oh, absolutely. Um, I recently played a game against an affiliate crew against my Marcus crew. And yeah, I basically got shot off the board and couldn't stop them (laughs) from getting all eight points. It was 
I mean, it was a good game, you know, and I and I appreciate it. I mean, he was a good player, so and I and I appreciated, you know, seeing what his stuff did. But you know, it's like, oh wow, you just shot uh, Paul Crockett off the board, turn one, and he was really my only long range threat. And now I just got to get lucky to, you know, keep you from just standing back from you know twelve to fourteen inches away and just shooting all my models off the table. And eventually, that's yeah. what yeah. <laughs> I say Ophelia is like Loki really good, so I, I definitely yeah. like her a lot too. Yeah. Plus, yeah. any anytime you declare a master and they declare Ophelia, and you're like, oh crap, I have a bunch of huge things in my keyword. It's like she just loves seeing large size things and she's gonna kill it. Yeah, exactly. Like the only thing that I had in my crew that was uh size one was the jackalope. So yeah. hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. So Definitely, like I said, it Marcus feels cool, and hopefully something down the line will help him out a little bit more. But definitely, at least in the Ar- Arcanist faction, I do feel like there's a lot, like you said, uh, things you can do that does it a little bit better than Marcus. Um, but the next one we're going to get into is, this one's actually a cool one. This is the December keyword with Rasputina. Uh, if you like making people not move with ice pillars, then you're going to love Rasputina. Yeah, absolutely. And she has that mean gun uh, so that she can just, you know, shoot you and then just slow all of your models that are damaged by it. Um, yeah. And putting any of her abilities through those ice pillars. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a big thing, that ice mirror ability where as long as she can see one of her ice pillars, she can basically use that to see where you are, and it's it's not good. <laughs> right, and they're height four, so you know, you know most you know most boards only have a few pieces of terrain that may be taller than height four. Yeah. So yeah, you can really just pretty much see anything that you need to, and uh, either take a shot at it or put an ice pillar next to it. That's going to make you make some. Uh, tough decisions about whether you want to keep that card or do you just want to gain slow, you know, and, or fall into the trap of, yeah, I'm going to take the slow and then pick up the ice pillar and my activations over. Yeah. Just, na- just, just definitely nasty. Uh, I feel like she's one of those masters where if you get really good with her in certain strats and schemes, it's just really tough to work around. Yeah, it, it definitely can. Or if there's like, if there's like bottlenecks in the map or things like that, and she can just throw those pillars in there just so that, you can't get through it. You know, you're going to end up having one of those uh, 3-1 games or something because she's, you know, her crew's pretty slow and not really moving, but, you know, they'll be able to score a couple points and just keep you from scoring any of yours. And, you know, that's still a win. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's one of the things, like, if you look at a lot of her different uh, models, they're not the quickest. They don't have, like, a lot of out-of-activation shenanigans to move them around. So, uh yeah, they, they definitely do like kind of sitting in a spot. So anything they can kind of sit back, they're going to kind of excel at. And and even though they are, you know, they're kind of slow like that, they have ways to deal with guns. You know, like one of the problems that, uh, you know, like Marcus had, you know, with guns, Snowstorm kind of helps solve that with that middle of the storm ability so that you reduce damage by two for any gun action. You know, so yeah. any friendly model within three can reduce the uh the damage by two. So it's it's like armor two against guns, which can be really useful when you're trying to, you know, kind of lay back and uh and not have to, you know, move forward and engage. Because, you know, since you're laying back, the 
first strategy I would think of is, all right, then I'll just have to find a way to shoot you from my side of the board. At least they have a way to deal with it. Yeah, that definitely does help. And the and Snowstorm is like a decently sturdy model. It, it's not like super hard to kill, or it's not super easy to kill because it does have nine boxes. It's a henchman. And I mean, it's, it has defense six for being how huge that stupid model is. Right. And one of the things that I've been recently experimenting with and uh, with Raspy is running the Essence of Power so that out of Sandeep's elemental keyword, so that you can give positives to opposed duels to models within three with this bonus action. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, defense six is defense seven, you know, and and even on like and on the attacks, like for Raspy's gun, all of a sudden she's uh, stat seven as opposed to being stat six. So it just changes how you can play her. You can start you can use her gun a lot more aggressively. Um, and then if you use a stone, you get a positive flip. So now you have a stat seven gun that I use the stone to uh, give all of the models that damage by it slow. And I'm getting a positive flip on it. Like it's just. Yeah, it can it can make it a lot better, you know, and make it a lot tougher to deal with for your opponent. Yeah, and the last set of models that I wanted to ask you if you hire in are the Ice Gammon and the Ice Golem. So it, when you're playing Raspy, do you find a spot to bring those in, or do you only bring in the Ice Gammon and then you form into the Ice Golem? Like, how do you like running that, if at all, with Rasputina? I usually run the Ice Golem more often than not, particularly if it's like a wedge deployment or something pretty close because he can only move four. I mean, yeah. Storm can move him with his bonus action, but even still, I just don't. That's just something you're not taking out of the corner. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I rarely take Ice Gammon. The the ability to combine them into the Golem, you only can do that with Sandeep if they have oh, one okay. of those upgrades. I have seen uh, players be successful running the Gammon, but I, if I'm usually, if I usually have Ice Gammon on the board, they're usually being brought in by Sandeep by summoning or something like that, as opposed to me hiring them for their stone count. Oh yeah, for sure. So is there any other models in her keyword that you like bringing a lot or just, just models in general in there that you're like, man, that's a really good one with her. Uh, The silent one is the best healer in the faction. So, uh, you know, it has, you know, healing energy, the one, two, three, Um, it can do it from eight inches away and it can use the, Ice pillars to uh, stretch its range out an additional eight. So effectively 17 inches away, you can heal something or just shoot his gun. You know, so those are pretty good. They don't have a melee range. So you definitely want to, um, they can't, they don't have a way to get out of melee um, if they're engaged or swing back. So you just basically have to keep them safe that way. They're basically made of tissue paper and the blessed of December it's a good, you know, it can be a great scheme runner in that crew. It's not, it's basically the fast model in that crew because it has leap and a move five. Um, and so you can, you know, get some stuff done with it to, you know, having it go, you know, run down a scheme runner or things like that. And then all of the keyword can eat corpses to heal themselves as a bonus. Um, <laughs> That's always into their, uh, what are they? No, they're not carnivores. They are, uh, Cannibals, yeah. Like, uh, I think that in the fluff, raspy, it, they're all like you know cannibals stuck up on the mountain or something. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I'd use that to kind of remind myself, like, okay, remember they all have grim feast. This is one of the games that I can actually benefit from it, unless of course you're playing a whole bunch of robots and then 
Yeah, that doesn't matter. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to probably one of the more powerful keywords, if not just in the faction, also in the game. And that's with the academics with Sandeep Desai. So looking at him, he's the summoner of the faction and he's summoning a bunch of elementals. So how do you find him usually playing out on the table or what are some things you really like about what he has on his card? Arguably the best master of the faction, like, you know, like most summoners are really strong. Um, that ability to uh, the mantras um, and how they all interact with each other. It's huge. And he basically has an obey for a seven on any elemental where they could push two inches and take a non-bonus action. Yep. So, which a lot of time is going to be focusing because when models focus in uh, Sandy's keyword, or at least the elementals, basically, you know, tons of things happen, which makes him um, powerful, but also one of the more difficult masters to play is it's just a lot to keep up with because it is <laughs> depending upon how many academics you have involved, it could be like, okay, I just focused and now five things happen. I yep. draw a card and resolve its demise ability and gain shielded and move two inches. And, you know, and if there's an enemy model, they can take damage. It's just so many things happen. And it's, it's you know, which leads you to you know, kind of want to stay in that bubble um, of about six inches away. Um, but it's super strong. Yeah, Sandeep always seems to have a grip of cards because it seems like every time one of those mantra abilities triggers, he's just like, oh, and then I draw a card, and then I draw a card, and then I draw yes. a card. <laughs> That's Kandara. Um, I, when you are playing Sandeep, she is an auto hire. Like, you need, if you are playing Sandeep, you have to bring Kandara. I, I'll bring Kandara into other, you know, you asked me earlier, do I ever bring uh, models into. Uh, Karis's crew outside the keyword. Sometimes I bring in Kandara for the card draw because, okay. right? Because if you have elementals in your crew um, and they focus, you get to draw a card. Um, and of course, with uh, Sandeep, you're doing a lot of that anyway. So you're just constantly pulling in cards. Like it, you know, it. Like if you don't have the card you need to summon, you just start focusing. You know, activating all your elementals and focusing with them and drawing cards and just draw until you get one. <laughs> yeah, yeah she, she's good. Um, yeah, it's definitely the the academics for this is definitely cool. And his totem is ridiculously cool. You want to talk about his totem for a second? Oh, absolutely. Uh, ben Suva uh, is, he, you know, he's one of the, if he wasn't the totem, you will be hiring him every time in Sandy. Like, he's just that important because... His mantra is you get to resolve the demise ability of that elemental. So if that's the wind gammon, you're getting to place a model or, you know, the poison gammon uh, passing out uh, the poison and damage or dropping a, uh, a pyre marker or an ice pillar. Like you can just get so much done uh, whenever something focuses. Like I find myself not really using a lot of his like attack abilities or if I am, it's usually like really late in the game early. I'm just trying to make sure he stays next to a lot of those elementals. He has an obey for elementals and I'm just trying to make sure he's able to uh, focus, maybe toss a model that he needs to get in position and uh, making sure that you're getting all those demise abilities when they focus every time. Yeah. I was going to say, I think people make the mistake and I, the guy I play a lot that does Arcanist, he, he did this mistake once, and I think he learned from it. Is he 
he really got all gung-ho and tried to he was actually playing against Ophelia and he tried to come in and start killing my models with him. And yeah. I basically, I basically just shot him up and he was like, Oh, and then later in the game, he's like, Oh, I'm going to do this. And he's like, Oh, no, never mind. Bonasuf is dead. I can't do his mantra. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. I need to get this place. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Yep. Like, he's so important. Like, uh, in a, a, one of the most recent games I played with him, I was playing against Colette and, uh, the opposing player knew exactly how important he was. And the first thing they did with Glett was run her all the way across the board and presto change show Banasuva back onto the <laughs> backside so that, you know, I was fighting to, you know, save him for a turn and a half. And yeah. I ended up losing by a point because I just couldn't. By the time, you know, I got him back into a spot where he could help. I mean, we're in the middle. We're at the start of turn three and I've, Spent two turns basically just trying to save him because of yeah, and that's a lot of actions too. Right, exactly. Okay, so I mean the academics are definitely an important part of it. Uh, so you're going to see them kind of. I feel like they just hang around in the back, but the there's going to be a ton of summoning. So how do you how do you decide like which elementals you can summon? Because obviously you have the poison, the wind, you have the fire, but all this stuff. You know, it's like metal, it's like, yeah. He's like goddamn Captain Planet almost, but absolutely. <laughs> and firepowers combined is what's on the card when you turn them into uh, a golem. So, so yeah, like that's the thing with Sandeep. There's just so many decisions, so many places to make mistakes. That's the the trick of it all. Because that's the that's the thing of it with uh, you know with Sandeep is it's hard. Like you have so many options that are good. You are. You spend so much time trying to figure out what's the right option that you could, you know, you won't be able to see the forest for the trees. You know, the wind gamut are great scheme runners. So if you, you're probably bringing one of those, summoning one of those in, at least at some point, if you didn't hire one, the the poison gamut are the one that you're going to want to uh, blow up with Sandeep's bonus action. You know, if you have a spot next to a lot of their models um, and those are the only two that don't currently have uh, golems, uh, Hopefully, Weird will uh, fix that so that we can have, you know, <laughs> uh, a possible five Golem Sand Deep crew, which sounds like a whole lot of fun. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, but um, and then like you know the fire, the fire gammon and uh, ice gammon, those are just probably going to be the ones you're combining to get some damage done. I tend to lean more toward the fire models because um, Kandara and Banasuva are immune to fire damage. So even mm-hmm. if they are just dropping pyre markers and having the golem move them around, you know, the golem can place next to a model that has burning. So it gives you more flexibility there. So I tend to yeah. lean toward that one. Yeah, I think that the weakness of of his crew is kind of like what you were alluding to that I think, and this is with almost any summoner, that you have such an availability of models. The real trick is deciding which ones are you going to summon to help get you points to win the game? Because a lot of times I see, especially new summoners where they just summon something and then they just kind of do random stuff with that model. And it doesn't serve an actual purpose for getting points. Right. Like you have to ask, why am I summoning this model? How is it, how is this going to help me? Um, And if you don't know, then is summoning the best decision because you can do other things with Sandeep's keyword other than just summon. But don't get me wrong, it's still one of the best things. He has great summons. And you're probably yeah. doing it the first three turns. But when you're getting to turn four and five, 
Like if you're summoning turn five, those models can't interact. So what, how are they going to score you points? Yeah, and the last thing I want to say about Sandeep to probably why he's actually one of the stronger probably masters in the game is he does have the ability to basically he traces line of sight from friendly academic models. So that allows him to kind of hang back a little further than uh, other masters would, would have to. Right. And, and that's one of the things that I have noticed that uh, players who are just starting to play with Sandeep make the mistake of is that you only can draw the line of sight from the academics, not the elementals. So it's not going to be the Gammon or the Golems or any yep. of those. It's just the Guard, Kandara, Vanasuva, the Mage, those models. So you just have to be careful about, you know, how far do you want to put Vanasuva up? Because if you put him too far forward, your opponent should be looking to kill him. Um, a little bit easier with Kandara with her having Serene Countenance. But, um, yeah, is that one of the things you would kind of recommend for people going against Sandeep is to, when you have the ability to focus on the academics and get them off the table to reduce their effectiveness? Absolutely. If you can get Kandara and Banasuva off the board, you're going to win the game. I, it, it's The engine runs off of that card draw and those demise abilities. If you can stop those, there's not much that uh, Sandeep can do. Okay. And, and Sandeep, really isn't that tough. He only has, I believe, 10 wounds. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, he has arcade, he has two shield, but, and his defense five. So like you can only, it only takes a few shots to take him off the board. I mean, I've even found myself bringing in a mannequin sometimes and putting it next to Sandeep just so that I can have take the hit so that I can avoid, <laughs> you know, having someone yeah. just kill Sandeep super. If, if assassinates in the pool, I just, you almost it almost like you have to take something to stop them from just killing him. Yeah. Okay. So we'll go ahead and go on into our next keyword. We've got a couple left. So next one that we have is Tony Ironsides, and this is the MNSU crew. And I tell you, I just played Tony for the first time the other day, and I was not having a good time. I was I ended up I think I ended up tying, but I felt miserable playing. I was pretty salty playing against her. She can do that. Yes. It, <laughs> it does not feel good when you hit her and you do, you know, two damage or something, and then she uses her tokens to take no damage, and then she punches you back, and they flip a severe, and it hits you for five. And he's like, oh, ouch. Yeah, and it's not only that. Like, I was not, I was not ready for bring it. Like, the fact that she has a willpower seven attack to make you come hit her, and then you're going to do damage to yourself, I'm like... This is and it's twelve inches away. I'm like, how is this twelve inches away? Willpower seven duel happening right now? Right, exactly. And and, and then you move your move plus two. So if you have a move, a model that has like a move, you know, seven, you know, all of a sudden it's moving nine inches towards her and right then into the crew, right into the middle of, uh, yeah, to its doom more than likely because once she <laughs> once she brings something in, it very rarely finds its way back out. Yeah, I was playing uh, Whizbang, and I was like, "All right, we need to run away from this. This is not good." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, Whizbang. That is, uh, oh Wong. Wong. That's right. That's right. Yeah, the shockwaves. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Tony. Tony wants to punch stuff in the face. So, what are some things in the crew that help her uh, help her punch things in the face? Yeah. Well, 
the big thing is, you know, she's a bubble crew with that, uh, giving the models around their, their grid abilities. Uh-huh. So, and if they're near each other, they get positive to defense and willpower duels. So yeah, that, that was annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then if they bring in the gunsmiths that have that 12 inch gun, it's a two, four, five has a trigger on each one of the cards. And, um, it's grid ability is when declaring an action, it can just add one of those suits in. So basically it can bake in any one of his triggers and yep. with, uh, and if it's not engaged, um, it can get a positive. So to models that don't have cover and concealment. So if you don't have a way to kind of hide your models, all of a sudden they have a positive and a baked in suit. So, which is armor piercing puncture, uh, the injured trigger with severe injury, like, all great triggers like oh yeah it just it'll just wipe models off the table yeah it was definitely something where i i don't know it's just it it was a lot of positives a lot of death in that area and i'm like we just need to get the hell out of there (laughs) right yeah Uh, Um, let's hear and there was another model what was that model there was one that was kind of just hanging back just kind of helping the crew out was it amina that does that yeah um yeah, Mina can sit back and uh, prevent you from charging anything. She can, she can also be her own, uh, excuse me, bubble, because she has that injured workers at. So you can have like effectively two bubbles of all of the models getting their grid abilities. So you yeah. might have Amina on one side with the gunsmiths, and then Tony on the other side with you know Howard or you know another model that can you know take advantage of his grid abilities on the other side. So I think Amina with that reach of the union next to the gunsmiths is just ridiculous. It's just like, cause you want to models like that. You're like, Oh, I'm just going to charge and lock them down, but you have to waste an action just to get there. And then you can attack if you have an action left. So it's just really good. Yeah, absolutely. And if she sees you interact and, uh, discards a card, she gets a soul stone or the crew gets a soul stone. Man, that's really good too. Yeah. And she has an obey. Like, and who doesn't like obeying the other person's models to do what you want them to do? It, it's kind of corner case a little bit. Like, you're not going to do it unless you have the card in hand, or you just want to stone for it. But just looking at that mask, like, if you have something like a mask, and then you also get the tome trigger where you can also, you know, gain an adverse adversary out there. That that's really good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, right. You can get a ton done with that. Or just if you have a seven, you can obey your own model. Um, yeah. I'll just, I use like a lot of, t- usually when I obey, I obey friendly models. Cause then I don't have to worry about having to beat their willpower in more cases. Yeah. Than um, so like obeying Howard to put up his concealment aura or something like that. Um, you know, putting up Vintenstein, um, yep. early so that if they decide to charge in, not only are they not going to get their, charge action they're also going to take damage because they're not a construct um just making it that much more uh you know uh, making it that much worse of a decision i have a newfound hatred for vent steam because i was like oh it gives you concealment and it does damage every time i want to do something so i'm killing myself this is great (laughs) stop punching yourself stop yeah right (laughs) that is what this crew does isn't it yes it's all stop punching yourself (laughs) it's a whole lot of that Okay, so is there something that, like, what do you find counters Tony a lot? What's something where it's like, okay, I really don't want to see that on the table when I'm playing Tony? 
if you have a way to attack something other than defense, she doesn't get her defensive trigger because uh, her trigger is simply on defense. It's not on mm-hmm. willpower. It's not on move or any of those things like that or size like some models have. So you can get around that part of it pretty easily. Um, and with the the bubbles can be a bit of a trap for a lot of players because you, you don't want to get out of the bubble you know, so you're having to stay pretty close together. So then you're you can be a victim to shockwaves and blasts. You know, even though you're getting positives to defense and willpower duels, there's only so much of that you're going to do before things are just starting to get hit. And well, I think it's one of those things that we kind of mentioned in a couple of these other keywords. Where, yeah, you can like you can sit in this bubble and murder anything that comes in, but is that actually scoring you points? Right. So I think that's something when you play a master like Tony, you really have to be careful with. Definitely, definitely. You get those kill blinders on and you don't actually score points. Exactly. Like, yeah, you have two models left. Like, yeah, but I scored five points and you have two. So I still win. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. This game is about scoring points, not just, you know, punching their models in the face. All right, let's go ahead and move on to... Uh, God, there's so many stupid constructs in this faction. Uh, <laughs> if you like robots and things that you know are mechanical, you'll love the Arcanist. But uh, next one's the crossover Charles Hoffman, and this is the augmented crew. So I, I like Hoffman a lot. His backstory is actually really cool. Uh, he ended, I think he has polio, which paralyzed him on the Earth side. And then when he came through the breach, he had this, uh, you know, this affinity to basically control machines with his mind. So. Pretty much everything is a construct in Charles' uh, Charles keyword. So what what do you like about Hoffman? What's he kind of doing on the table? He is making his models fast, um, giving them power tokens that they can use for positives. And if you're near their model, if you're near the opponent's models, they're having to take a 10-15 move duel or gain injured one. And 15 move is hard to beat. Like, it's you know, there aren't that many models that are... Uh, most models, are, I would say, are move five, so that's a ten. Um, and how many tens are you going to be willing to spend there to not get the injured? Because if yeah. you spend it to not get the injured, then all of a sudden your attacks or your actions that you wanted to do on your turn are just not going to happen. Um, yeah, I, de- I definitely noticed that playing like Whizbang because they're all about the high TN tests, and people are like, oh, it's sweet, I passed it. It's like, yeah, and that's not a card that you're using for your flips. Yeah. Exactly. Like every time, you know, even if they're flipping off the top of the deck and they're flipping that 12 and, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, I pass, I pass. It's like, yeah, but you're going to fail. You're just not failing yet. Yeah. I just need to keep, now it's time to put the pressure on because I've seen you. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like what you were saying about, uh, kind of being able to count cards and kind of keep a hand, you know, an eye on somebody's deck in their hand and you're seeing them use those resources and you're like, okay, now I can press a little harder and maybe attack this model a little harder now that I've seen them waste the cards. Yeah. There's just, you know, a lot of those tough spots that Hoffman can put you into and he gets to pass out those power tokens, not only from that, but from when he activates, just, you know, pulsing them out to all of the constructs within uh, range and then all of those models have ways to benefit from uh, those power tokens like through their actions yeah and do you find yourself when you play Charles Hoffman that he's kind of just managing the robots and I mean he has a decent attack but do you find he's more using his other effects to help 
kind of boost his robots to do the most of the heavy lifting? Absolutely. I would say he's one of those, uh, you know, he's more of like a, a top down master where like, you know, he is pat, he's using his actions to benefit his crew to make them better and stronger because they gain fast in a power token. Um, yep. And if, if he's doing attacks, it's usually really late in the game, turns four and five. Um, early, I'm probably just trying to get to the middle of the board um, so that when I and trying to finish my activations with models within that six inch range so that they can get that power token when he activates. And I'm usually yeah. activating Hoffman early so that I'm passing out those uh, that pulse of power tokens and then. Uh, know giving out that fast uh with his ap yeah and and definitely it's just nice to be giving out the fast the power and then any enemy model might also be getting injured once so that makes it where your robots are you know those constructs are hitting a lot harder because your defense just sucks at that point absolutely and it and he has analyzed weakness so if you have one model that's you know has a whole lot of armor you know he has a six against willpower to uh, possibly turn that off and a surge trigger to draw a card. Yeah, and a lot of high armored stuff and shielded stuff doesn't doesn't usually have great willpower, so that's usually something that can cook off pretty easily. Definitely, and even if they have analyzed weakness, he has a way to uh, make his uh, make the armor for his models unignorable with his uh, wielding torch. So yeah, you know, you turn it off and then he can just turn it right back on. Yeah, he's like, yeah, that doesn't matter. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna flip it on you. Is that, yes, my models get to use their armor no matter what because I said so. <laughs> yeah. So, looking at his crew, what are some of the constructs that you like bringing a lot? Because you do have kind of more choices because you have obviously your Arcanist stuff, but then you have the Guild stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Joss, I, tr I, I would say I pick him most times. I play Hoffman. Uh, because uh, being able to make your uh, damage irreducible is just super good. Like I, it, it just really good. He has a two, four, five. He has crit strike on it, so you can make that a four, six, seven irreducible. Um, yeah. He just has to discard a, a power token or gain a power token. And he gains a power token when he charges. So you can <laughs> charge in, you're gaining a power token, you know, and then use it to, uh, in order to make the damage irreducible, it's just super good. Yeah, that is good, though, because you do want to usually activate Hoffman early, but if there's, a, like, a model that you're like, this model needs to die now, you can mm -hmm. activate him, and he's at least giving himself one power token to go in. Right, and, you know, and they have the ability to pass power tokens around. Hoffman can do it with his bonus actions, and I usually bring the toolkit too to help pass out some additional power tokens so you know by the second or third turn you know he probably already has a few in uh you know a few power tokens on him um so he's already ready to go ahead and you know do that irreducible damage nice yeah and the cool thing about hoffman's crew is there is like a lot of built-in healing so it, it it is going to take a bit of a punch because a lot of its models are slower but the good news is there's a lot of ways to mitigate damage and then to also heal up a little bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I bring the toolkit more often than not, and it has a one, two, three heal that can go up to a three, four, five. If you use uh, two power tokens. Yeah. Um, so, 
you know, you're having that way. And, and with everything having armor, when you heal something, uh, three health and it's armor too, it's, you know, it's making it so much more uh, durable than like a model that doesn't have that. See, level I, I was going to say frustrating, Jeremy. That was the word I was going <laughs> to use. I'm going to tell you, there's times where I think, was it Joss? It was one of those, like one of the better models. It might've been Melissa, but either mm-hmm. way, I think I got it down to like two and he just backed it up, healed it and then brought it back forward, like within a turn and a half. And I was like, this model is dead, like a half a turn ago. And right. it's now back to full. And I'm like, this is so frustrating. Right. And now she's charging with running gun and she has that same dynamic generator to, you know, gain a power token when she charges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything, well, there, I mean, obviously there are some things, but what are some things that, uh, basically Charles Hoffman does not like seeing across from him? What are some things where it's like, Ooh, this is going to be a rough one for Charles. Definitely things that, uh, anything that can get around the armor. So precise or, you know, armor, like even though he has a way to turn off, uh, the, uh, if you, you know, turn off the armor or if you use something like analyze weakness, um, he doesn't want to spend his AP doing that. Um, he would much rather spend his AP trying to make things fast and giving them power. Yeah. So anytime that you are, you know, you're able to force him to have to do something like that, it's a win for you. Yeah. You know, and, you know, armor piercing triggers are on a lot of models, you know, like Dreamer, ha- basically everything has something that all of his guns ignore armor. So that can be, uh, feels bad if uh, you're not prepared for it. Well, let me ask you this, because I, I don't know if this might even be a bigger problem. So let's just say that somebody brings something like Colette or somebody brings something, you know, where they're just not going to engage with you. Is that something that's a problem for Hoffman when it's like these these just don't want to interact with me? They're just scheming and doing their own thing and I'm having a hard time running them down. Is that kind of a bigger problem for him? It can be if you don't pick your crew like he has models that can, you know, that I, you know, like a lot of the models, even though they're robots, still have a good amount of move. Like the, the cats are, I believe move six, uh, I forgot what, the hunters. Yeah. They're move yeah. six, you know, and the watchers are move seven. So he can kind of hire in a schemey style crew. Um, but if those, mo- you know, if you're really spreading him out, I would say it's one of the things is, that can kind of break down the engine because he has to be within six in order to pass out those power tokens like that. So if you're able to get everything going in all opposite directions, like something, you know, that's why I rarely would pick him from like corner deployment because just based on the way the map is built, it's just hard for him to stay close (laughs) enough to really be able to do the things that he wants and he's moved forward. So he really can't get to the places he needs unless you're like bringing a guardian to toss him or the rider to do ride with me. Those are like the yeah. only ways to kind of get him around. Um, yeah. I would say, uh, I, I definitely enjoyed playing like zip or bringing Maris into him because oh, I just, yeah. yeah, I just do up, we go and I just toss him like away from his crew and he has to spend so much just to get back to him. It, it, that's, that's how I've countered him a lot. It's just been like, yep, I'm just going to displace you over here and have yeah. fun getting back to your boys. It's right. It's like, yeah. So I uh, use, Two AP and my bonus action to get close enough to give one thing fast this turn at a power token, and now he's done. Yeah, like, yep. <laughs> yeah. You do have to be careful though, because I have gotten models close to Hoffman before, and he just pummels them. 
because he does hit pretty hard. Oh yeah, he's a two four six. He will. Yeah, he can light a model up if it gets close to him. Like it is, yeah, it is not a problem. He can punch something with ease, and he can use power tokens from himself or a model within six. So, yeah. you know, so like even you know, if you have other constructs in your crew like a soul stone miner that you know when he activate he gave them a power token, but they literally can do nothing with it. He can pull it off and then use it for you know a positive or a suit to his goal. Yeah, he's a cool master. I any t- I'm actually excited because I'm painting up one of my friends' uh, Hoffman crews. He plays Guild, and I'm painting it up, and I'm just like, man, this is cool. I'm I'm gonna be he. He's one where it can feel bad sometimes if he's rolling because he just rolls really strong. But it's really cool even when you're getting rolled against it because you're just like, man, I'm getting punched in the face by robots. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 and um. One of the things that I didn't catch until much later is that he can use that positive on any duel. It isn't just the post duels. So he can use like a power token for his overcharge or for yeah. something like that. So like if you don't have that six in hand, you can just get a positive to it. And it's, I mean, it, it's easy to miss a six with one card, but it's significantly harder to miss it with two, you know? All right. And then the last master that we're going to go over is we got Mei Fang and the Foundry crew. And this is the kind of cool 10 Thunders crossover. So looking at Mei Fang and her crew, it's a lot. Once again, it's more constructs a lot of the times. And they're just kind of using scrap markers and they're using those to kind of just maneuver, but it can also do a lot of synergy. So what what are some of the things that when you see May on the table, you're like, okay, they're going to be doing this. They're going to be riding the rails. And that oh, yeah. is, they're going to be moving 12 inches, uh, assuming that they have a scrap uh, marker uh, on both sides of it. And that can get models where they need to be very fast. Now, you don't really use, using it to attack usually isn't the best decision because you can't charge out of it you basically it's a walk yeah um, but it's great for getting things into position and getting them there fast um and you know she can do a lot of damage because she effectively has a uh like it's, it's like a, an onslaught that jackhammer uh kick because she gets to push you two inches and then take the action again yep. um and she has a lot of ways to kind of get you know, if something has vent steam up and then she pushes you that two inches, you take a point from the vent steam yeah. and then hits you again. Like it can just really quickly become a whole lot of damage. And she can guarantee her triggers by reducing the dual total by two. So, yeah, I, I definitely got a new appreciation for vent steam when she had vent steam up, the stupid iron golem had vent steam up, the mm-hmm. mechanical pork chop had vent steam up. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm taking like. When I'm activating and I'm taking like three damage just from my three actions. Yeah, exactly. And then, and with those, you know, you know, the, the golem hat is a 50 mil base. So that's a huge area that, that yeah. steam is covering and it has armor to, and possibly shielded to if, um, it ate a scrap marker on its turn. So yeah. it, you're going to be dumping so much AP in order to try to hit this thing. And then, you know, it has a, you know, stat five with a positive built in. And I think it's max damage is a six as well. So, um, and it has a trigger to put up Vince Steam, which is yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. So 
I mean, you see a lot of that. It's a very durable crew, too. I mean, it's kind of surprising because Mayfang's like a smaller-ish model. But, I mean, her and her crew are actually really tanky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Defense 6, Armor 1, lots of, you know, a lot of the models in their crew either have, you know, Armor 2, like the Metal Gammon and Metal Golem, or um, Hard to Wound on the Henchman Kang. Um, mm. Just a lot of different, yeah, the, the ch- Pork Chopper is Armor 2, just everything is pretty tough outside of sparks and yeah which is a good thing because he's one of the better models in her group yeah i just played against mayfang the other last week and i saw sparks in that list for the first time and yeah the hostile work environment the stupid landmines that he has down that the scrap markers count as basically uh severe hazardous terrain and i'm just like i just died to myself pretty much it was just it was right. nothing she did besides positioning and having the right abilities up. Exactly. And then uh, if he packs things with explosives, you hit it, and then it, you basically take blast damage onto yourself and any of your other models that are close by. Yeah. So, yeah, just... And so, you know, I usually bring him, and I'm packing that Golem and Mayfang with uh, explosives turn one, or, you know, or the models that I plan on, you know, having move forward turn one, and then hit them if you like, and you're just hitting yourself. Yeah, and I will say she's also a really cool master because she's dual-factioned, but she also pulls a few of those models out of Bayou, too. So she actually has like three different factions that she's using to ride the rails and do all of its crazy shenanigans. Yeah, and and all of an overwhelming majority of her models are good in different situations, whether it's that survivor with the 14-inch gun or you know, Sparks, Neil Henry can be good in a lot of situations. I like him in Public Enemies. It's just, you know, she has a lot of flexibility. And that new cool box that I just got yesterday. And I uh, am really looking forward to... uh, Are you talking about the uh, 1988 box? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nightmare... Dude, how how sick is that alt-metal golem that's going to come out for Black Friday? uh, I'm super excited. I'm sure that I'll have to spend, you know... (laughs) 100 or 200 bucks or something to get it I, I don't know if it's just going to be offered as a purchase i hope so but uh it may even if they have this you have to buy you know x amount of dollars in order to get that you got uh, you got to so do it right i'm doing it yeah so like <laughs> <laughs> oh like, man yeah so maybe i'll get a new key like maybe i'll step into a new faction um, yeah, there you go and that's kind of, I'm not going to say it's a trap. It's actually a cool function. Like some people are like, oh, they're just trying to sell extra models by having dual masters. But I actually, like for me, somebody who likes playing like the game and the entirety of it, I really like that they have the dual kind of faction kind of thing built into your faction. Because like me, I'm starting to play Bayou, but I know as soon as I pick up Zoraida, I'm going to start flexing into Neverborn. And then that might be a second faction that I pick up just because I like the way it kind of feels. So it, she just does that a lot for uh, for Arcanist as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because like when I went to that tournament in South Carolina, I believe where we met, yep. um, I won a uh, a lynch box, which you know, and I was like, oh, I've always you know had already kind of considered that master when I started because of the uh, you know his ability to like look at his cars or whatever, um, mm-hmm. read the deck. So I was like. Yep. This is Ten Thunders. I already have Mei Fang, so 
I might as Perfect. well get, you know, some <laughs> Ten Thunders versatiles or some extra models to be able to run May Fang in either way or, you know, have some models to run with Lynch. And next thing you know, I'm like, I have a toe into another faction, you know? Definitely. So last thing that I want to kind of talk about from just the Arcanist in general is just, I think we can't talk about the Arcanist without talking about their upgrades. So they have probably some of the best upgrades in the game. I think most people would agree. Yeah, I would argue that they are the best upgrades in the game. Absolutely. So what are some of them where you're like, man, this is just too good to not bring? Uh, I, If I'm not bringing magical training, I, mu- I, I, it's so rare that I don't bring it that my opponents are like, wait, did you forget that you don't have magical <laughs> training on a minion? Because you're only going to get six cards. Uh it was to the point that the first time that I played with uh, like that Lynch crew when I was playing with them on Vassal, um, and I forgot that this game was played with six cards. Like <laughs> you're like, oh like, crap! Like wait, it's I only get six. Wow, how do you guys do this? Like this is impossible. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, and again, like the counter spell is cool, and the shield makes that model more durable. But I'm here for the extra card. I'm only putting it. Or yeah, that, that's whatever, all just like extra on top. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, cool. You, you make it so that it's harder for them to kill this thing because they should want to kill it because it's giving me one more card to make something happen or one more chance to have my Black Joker in my hand um, so that, you know, holding your Black Joker when you have seven cards is a lot less a lot of attacks. Yeah, then when you, you know, you only have six cards and one of them is your Black Joker. Now you only have five other cards. Like yep. Yeah, so... Definitely that one. All right. And then the other one that I see a lot, let me find out where this is, is the uh, Soulstone Cache. That's another one I see a lot. Yeah. Um, that, and it's because one of the reasons is it you know, allows things to be able to use Soulstones. And then if enemy models die within an aura, um, you get a Soulstone. Uh, mm-hmm. They did change that in the update because before it was any model, including the model itself. So the upgrade effectively only cost one if you if they killed it. Uh, yeah. So it, it was a lot of ways to cheese it before, but uh, um, yeah, just being able to use soul stones like that. And I've been giving it to like uh, either the Mecha Arachnid or the swarm. Um, so then if you use a soul stone uh, within five inches of that model, you get a positive flip. So, yeah. you know, if you're, you're using a soul stone for a onslaught trigger, getting a positive and then, you know, killing that model and then getting the stone back. I mean, I, you really can't beat that. You know, you're getting a rebate as soon as you kill it. Yeah. Yeah, just really good upgrades. I mean, honestly, there's none of them where it's, like, terrible. Even, like, yeah, Diesel Engine is really yeah. good. Yeah, Diesel Engine's fantastic. You know, yeah. giving, um, having the ability to get charged through. And, you know, if you're going against one of those, uh, you know, crews like Anophilia or... Um, bandit or you know any of those crews that have a lot of guns where um, concealment can be to your benefit having sputtering exhaust to give all models within range concealment because yeah it's not as easy to turn off that concealment because the models within that range just have it as opposed to them being like within hazardous terrain which you know can be ignored by some abilities no something's no concealment but you know all right, so looking at the Arcanists in general, uh, you've you've been to, at least before, obviously, the lockdown and stuff, that 
you've been to a, a handful of tournaments with them. So how do you find that they tend to fare, you know, in some of the more competitive games when you look at Arcanus? They're competitive. I mean, I, I think that uh, you can win with Arcanus um, like you can with a lot of factions. I think this game a lot of times comes down to the players more than it does just the factions in a lot of cases. The game feels sure. really balanced. You know, like I think Cody would be winning these tournaments even if he wasn't playing Outcast. We just everybody thinks <laughs> Outcast is broken because he's playing those, but if he were to pick up Arcanus, he'd still win. Um <laughs> or 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 a lot of cases it just it seems that way. Um so you can definitely, you know I don't see a lot of players playing Arcanus or at least it's just been a lot of us in the middle of the road, and I feel like that's you know kind of where we all are just fitting in right now, or at least a lot of the guys in our uh, meta. Yeah, the, the Arcanist players are just probably in the middle. No, I don't. I can't remember if anybody's won a tournament with Arcanist in our meta, but you know, I th- I've gotten second, you know, and a third, you know, a lot of that kind of uh, yeah. in that range. But I found myself at top table several times and then just facing, you know, a player who was significantly better than me and just trying to basically put myself in a position to get lucky because I knew that I could not play them. And that just that just didn't happen before the lockdown. I was fingers crossed. I was hoping to try to win my first tournament before uh, I played the game a year. But the the shutdown kind of just put a halt to that effort. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of those things where, especially since, I mean, this is your first tabletop game. So the fact that you're kind of competing, um, at least even in your meta for those top, and I mean, it's not like you're just like a no a no name meta. I mean, it's a the North Carolina meta is really strong, and I'm kind of happy that you know Georgia's got some strong players, and now South Carolina we're starting to kind of come into the mix too in this southeastern meta. So it, it's not it's definitely not like this fluffy little meadow where it's like, oh yeah, we're just doing these cute things. So it, it's good to know that Arcanist can kind of compete at that level. But what are some, what are, let's go with this route. What are three masters that you really enjoy taking to tournaments? Cause they're, they're doing really well for you. Karis is arguably my best master. Uh, I, it took me a while to realize that she was one of my better masters, but I've, I had several opponents tell me like, that's your best master. And I was like, really? You think that, you know, Karis is the, the key word I do the best with. And then when I look at it, I do have a better record with her. And the mm-hmm. reason is because every model, like as I was saying before, you know exactly what you're supposed to do with that model. So yeah. it leaves less spaces for me to kind of make a mistake about what I'm trying to get accomplished. Like yeah. forgetting, you know, I need to be trying to score points with Firestarter. I need to be shooting things with running gun with the master or you know, it just kind of fits in that way. Um, and then Colette, because she's just a tough matchup in a lot of cases for a lot of different factions and players who are trying to play aggressively. Um, yeah. You can just, you know, getting things out of position and doing those kind of tricks. It's just, it just kind of flips the game on its head, at least for me, like of, of how it's supposed to be done. So I've had like pretty good success with her. Um and if I had to pick a third, I would. I I usually steer away from Sandeep in tournaments because he's just it's just so much going on. It's so complicated. It's hard to get through a, a game with him. You know yeah. when you're it's you're pulling in. Yeah, it's, it's hard on the clock. It's hard on your mind. Like it's just it's so much to think about. Like if you're playing 
three games in one day, and then the in round three you pick Sandeep. You, like unless maybe other players won't get burned out by that. By the time I get to round three, I need something that I can uh, almost put on all of autopilot for the model, so I can kind of focus on what the other person's doing and you know ways to get around that. So then I would probably lean to something more straightforward. You know. I played a lot of tournaments, man, just in other games. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, you're exactly right that when you have a master or you have a faction where you have to be constantly thinking, reacting, and just using that brain power, that by the time you get to round three, four, and five, depending on how long your tournament's going, that it, that can burn like the last round of a day. It's like your your mind is kind of getting shot at that point. And that's where a lot of those top table mistakes kind of get kind of made. And I think it is, it is kind of interesting because I talked to Cody when I did the outcast faction guide and he actually said that, yeah, I love taking Parker like late in the rounds because I think it is a lot of that mental tax that it just, it lets him kind of go into auto, you know, pilot. And it also gives him a little bit of that luck factor, which sometimes you need at those late, late round games. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I, would just be looking to play something that I was either really familiar with or just, you know, I don't have to work so hard. Yeah. Just, yeah. I, you know. I feel that way with Somer too, where sometimes I'm like, okay, I got to stop and think, what do I need here? And you gotta, you're kind of going through your cards. You're going through what you got in your hand. You're going through the, you know, schemes and strats. And it, it is a lot of brain power, which can definitely get taxing in a tournament. And like you, like we said, it, it soaks up a lot of your clock time. And then you're not getting into turn four or five sometimes. So you just got to be aware of that. Exactly. I was like, oh, you know what? I'll just pick Hoffman and I'll just make all of these things fast. And that'll be that as opposed to, you know, six things happening every time I focus or, or something yeah. like that. Well, cool. So we got through all the upgrades. We got through all that. Uh, last thing that I just want to talk about, and then we'll kind of see if you got anything you want to plug or talk about is... If I'm a new player into the game and I choose Arcanist as my faction, what do you think is one of the better crews to start with as a newer player in Arcanist? I would look at probably either Colette or Karis, like Colette and Karis. Um, one reason is because they share the Carlos model, who's really good. And it gives you both like two like far-in reaches of what Arcanist can be, whether it's like you know, attacking and killing with Karis or scheming and doing tricks with Colette. Okay. Based on kind of what they want to get done in the game and just going with one of those, because those just seem to be like, even though Colette is kind of weird, it's still kind of straightforward. You know, she's moving things out of position and trying to score her points. Yeah. So you're kind of saying like they, uh, you're kind of saying like they basically teach you how to do the two important things in the game. Right, because um, one of the I would say the the hardest part for the game uh, when I started playing, like not that the game isn't hard anyway, it's still hard for me. But the, yeah, right. the, the, the toughest thing that I had to uh, get a grasp on was like the positioning aspect. So I would say, um, and that's one of the things that actually Hoffman has another one um, helped me fix because with this ability to like push two inches with a bonus action, all of a sudden, you know, if I was just slightly out of position. I could use that bonus action to kind of get me to that spot. 
the like these games like you know having the tape measures and or you know the widgets and things to, like measure out the distances like that that part of it it just it took a while before that felt you know where I could like now I, I almost feel like I can move something and know whether I'm within range of another ability just yeah. because I'm just kind of like logging all that information in my head. Like, okay, if this thing is over here and I push it five inches this way and I move this one over this way, it's still going to be within the, you know, 10 inches that I need to do this thing later. Or, you know, like that part of it started to fit in, but like early I felt like I was always off by a couple inches. So yeah, you know, so or off by a half an inch. So like having, you know, abilities like that, they're just like, okay, this is kind of like a buffer where I can yeah. just fix that mistake because it feels like Malifaux is a game of who makes the least mistakes in a lot of cases than it is just like if both players are about ev- uh, about equal in skill level, it's just trying to limit your mistakes. And yep. for me, those were the mistakes that I was making the most often. Yeah, great, great advice there for for new new players in general. Anytime you can get something that lets you get either extra movement or pushes or out of activation movement to help fix, that's definitely good for new players. And, and it's a great tool for experienced players because you can really use that to um, take advantage of your opponent or abuse your opponent. So, yeah, Jeremy, anything uh, you want to plug or talk about before we get ready to get out of here? Uh, no, I mean, I don't have anything to plug. I just. Uh... Thanks to everybody, uh, you know, that, you know, has been like being a person who didn't play these types of games. Everyone that I've met has been, uh, you know, not only just nice in general, but willing to help, like show you how Mm -hmm. things work, you know, like the way that they get excited to share the game as opposed to it just being as, you know, as toxic as, you know, it, it doesn't, it feels like, you know, family instead of internet trolls or something. You know what I mean? Like everybody yeah. kind of has that. We want everyone else to get better and have a good time. Um, so that's just been, you know, really dope. And I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, as an outsider to this game, that it, I, it wasn't seen as like, like, why are you picking this up? It was like, oh, somebody else wants to do this thing. You know, what can I do to help you get better at it or learn more about it? So, yeah, I was going to say, I think that looking at what you've done as far as coming in the game, because there's a lot of people in this game, and I think you're right, that they've been playing tabletop games for like decades. Like, I'm not even joking with that. Like, I've been playing, you know, tabletop games since the late 90s. And, that's something that's good to hear where it's like somebody's just coming in fresh, you know, they were curious about it and just seeing that over the course of just a year, I mean, you've progressed and become really, really good at the game where you can, maybe you're not winning against the top, top level player, um, level players, but you're able to hold your own and at least make a game out of it. And then who knows, maybe in another year, maybe you're there able to compete and, and do that thing. So I think it's good and inspiring for people to hear that. That way they know like, Hey, if I put the reps in, if I get in, get good with this and start getting the matchups down, I can also compete at a decent level in this game. And that's always great to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I, before the shutdown, I was probably playing three games a week. I had plenty of time in the afternoons. I was playing like three games a week. So that's, you know, that's the way that I was able to just, you know, kind of 
get better at the game. It honestly is just the repetition of it. You know, like the first time I play any master, pretty much I ever, just like anyone else, I get my teeth kicked in, you know, yep. like, Oh man, Levy does what? Okay. <laughs> All my things are dead now. <laughs> so like now I need to figure out what can I do for this not to end up this way? Oh, I lost this game when I built my list because I picked all things that he could easily murder. Like, yeah, right. A lot of it is that, you know, and then just getting comfortable with what your stuff does and, and, you know, just having a good time while doing it. Like, never taking the losses personally. The losses are just lessons and they really don't cost you anything but your time. We're not playing this for money or anything. Nobody, you know, goes home and can't play their bills because. They lost in Malifaux. So just like it is it, you know, just making the most of even the bad situations in the long run is just going to make you a better player. At least well, I, I think be. that people need to just failure is one of those things where it's like, yeah, I got stomped here. What did I learn? And there's been definitely games of Malifaux where, you know, I mean, of course, I'm going to get a little salty just because that's my personality. But I always reflect on it and be like, OK, we can't do that again. We need to learn from that. We, we have to bring something to deal with that kind of model. So. Definitely just, you know, take your lumps, learn from it. And and like you said, people that you play, they'll they'll be willing to tell you, like, yeah, man, you should not have done that. That was a bad move. Right. Yeah. Like whenever I play someone who's better than me, even after the loss, like it if I like I'll ask any of the questions about things that I didn't like either understand or have them, you know, try to point me in the right direction as to like, you know, what could I have done differently? Or what made this so easy for you? Like outside of the fact that, you know, you know, like what, like, what do you know about this game that could possibly help me get better at it? And I haven't had one time where someone was like, I'm not helping you. Like they're like, oh, yeah. They're like, oh, like you just didn't understand that my models could do this. And you also have a model in your faction that can counteract that. Like, oh, thanks. And yeah, usually you want to be more competitive. Yeah, usually they'll be like, you know, oh man, I was so happy you didn't bring that model because that would have been a problem for me. And you're like, oh, well, next time I'm going to bring that model. Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, I didn't even realize, like, you may not have even seen that value of that model. I've had that happen numerous times where I was like, I can't see any value for that. That thing can't be good. And then, you know, someone explains it to me and then I put it on the table a couple of times. The next thing you know, it's finding my way into half of my list or something. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I recently just to give one last example for you before we sign off here that I just I was playing against Mei Fang and I was looking at him like, man, there's going to be scrap markers all over the place. What do I need to do here? And I started looking at Bayou Smugglers, which I've never played before. And I saw they remove scrap markers and I was like, this is going to be a nice little pick. And then I started playing them in the game. And I'm like, okay, this is also getting me some card draw. It, you know, it's kind of helping me, you know, mold my hand a little bit. So I was like, man, I need to start playing these guys a little bit more. Exactly. Man. It, it, it Putting things on the table can clear things up so much. And then like, instead of just, you know, remixing the whole list a lot of times, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to tweak one thing in this list and see yep. what happens if I do that. And if I get my teeth kicked in again, okay, well then maybe that's not the solution and the issue <laughs> is somewhere else. But you know, if it's, if it helps and I've learned something new and I'm just going to be a better player in the long run. We'll go ahead and uh, we're going to wrap it up there, but 
make sure that you guys are checking out our YouTube channel. We're actually starting to put these episodes on YouTube. So those people that prefer to listen to, uh, they can have all the episodes on there. Uh, we're also putting on some gameplay stuff. I just put up another God tier episode on there. So make sure you check that out. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook to get any updates or any of the funny retweets, memes, especially with the death of Guild Ball lately. There's been a lot of salt there. So, you know, we've been definitely participating in that. And then finally, if you want to support us directly, make sure that you guys look at our Patreon. Uh, you guys can support us for as little as a dollar and anything you throw our way would be appreciated. Uh, the patrons that we have definitely help out and and they're awesome to have their support. Uh, and plus, we're looking at making new dice. It's been a little tricky with the pandemic, but we're going to get new dice for our patrons that pledge a certain amount as soon as we can get them ordered through the pandemic. So, but Jeremy, thanks for coming on again, man. It was real great talking to you about these dirty arcanists. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on, man. It was a pleasure and always fun to talk uh, Malifaux. Uh, glad to, I really, I've gone through your Malifaux content and some of the other games. I, I enjoy it I'm, as well as I'm sure the rest of your listeners do, so thank you as well, man. Yeah, and with that being said, Malifaux uh, players, don't forget to flip cards and flip tables, and we will see y'all next time. Uh,